a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Russia announced today that the Kremlin will scale back some of its military activity, especially in and around Kiev, because peace talks with Ukraine have produced the outlines of a deal. U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken expressed uh, a whole lot of skepticism, as did President Biden today. So is a peace deal on the horizon? Is there light at the end of the tunnel? Or is this just Russia repositioning for something else? Andy Field is ABC News correspondent in Washington, D.C., and joins us on the line now to help us figure out what's real, what's uh, hope, and what is on the horizon. Andy, thanks for joining us. Boyd, you can be a Pentagon spokesman. You basically uh, <laughs> put that exactly the way the Pentagon had put it today here. They're, they're not clear that Russia is actually keeping its word on this. They say that satellite photos indicate that Russian troops are not advancing on Kyiv, the capital of Ukraine, but they're not necessarily uh, packing up the, uh, the stuff in the back of the trunk and, and going home either. They're still 15, 20 miles away from the city, and the air attacks have continued on Kyiv, so... Uh, if Russia is looking to, in big air quotes, build trust with Ukraine, this is an odd way to do it. Uh, the, the, the interesting part about this is that uh, earlier this week or last week, uh, Russia officials basically said, look, what we really wanted all along was the eastern part of, of Ukraine, northeastern part, the Donbass region that has been contested for almost nine years and we're a war has been raging for almost that long. You know, we, we keep forgetting about this. This is this is not new. Right. That uh, there have been fights in that part of the, of the country where Ukraine was fighting for that territory. Uh, Russia just decided to push the envelope a little bit and decided to bomb the rest of the city and basically level many cities in that country. So now they're at the peace talks. Uh, both sides sound a bit con- encouraging saying that, you know, they might be able to get to the point where both the president of Russia and Ukraine can sit down at the peace table and discuss things. But, boy, that would be some meeting, uh, considering the fact that uh, Vladimir Putin has literally murdered uh, tens of thousands of people in Ukraine and forced millions to flee the country. Yeah, and as we've been looking at that, uh, and in terms of the the Russian military uh, having a little different strategy and activity, uh, as you outline that in terms of the, the battles that have been going on in the Donbass region, region uh, is this kind of the old-school European approach that when you're in the war, uh, the best thing you can do is is to really focus on the things you can get because when you get to the peace table in Europe, you pretty much get to keep what you have at the time of the peace settlement. 
Well, what's interesting is that Russia up until this point was just making ultimatums, saying you either do this to get peace or we're going to keep bombing you. So there seems to be a, a slight change in the rhetoric, primarily because so many Russian troops and even generals have been killed in this war. Right. And perhaps it's looking really bad for Putin back home, despite his lockdown on the media. A lot of this, you know, when, when you're not getting any communications from your child who's in the military, uh, you begin to wonder if that person's still alive here. And if that uh, number is into the thousands, that's becoming a giant public relations problem for, for Vladimir Putin back home. Yeah, and as you look at that uh, changing dynamic uh, from Russia, uh, I know it's really hard. I've been wanting to get your perspective on this, Andy, from your sources. Obviously, the fog of war makes it really hard to tell, you know, where those Russian troops really are. Have they been pushed back by Ukraine? Have they just uh, realigned and repositioned to, to fight again? Uh, what's really happening? Uh, but how much of that is just the fact that the Russian army hasn't been able to march right through like I think they anticipated to? Uh, and how much of that credit should we be giving to Ukraine? Well, the Pentagon took a little credit for that today because uh, John Kirby, the spokesman at his briefing today, said uh, the Ukrainian military has been successful in large part because of the training it has received over the years from the U.S., because of the superior equipment that they have, and because of their tenacity, which no one really can instill in anyone but the people who live in Ukraine. Uh, so he gives them a tremendous amount of credit for taking one of the largest armies in the world and pushing them back in many cases and then retaking some cities and doing some severe damage to ships and, and tanks and other uh, uh, military assets that the Russians have been pouring into Ukraine. Yeah, uh, and clearly success has a, a million fathers and failure has none. Uh, and uh, I think the Pentagon wants to get to the front of that train and uh, probably a few politicians as well. Uh, but Andy, from your unique pr perspective back there in Washington, D.C., are you hearing anything else? Are there other subtle signs or things that we should be watching for uh, as these peace conversations continue uh, with uh, in Turkey and uh, what comes next? Well, most of it's domestic politics. It, it's uh, criticism of Joe Biden, relentless from the Republicans, who in one breath says he's not being tough enough on Russia, and then when he says when he says something like uh, Putin can't stay in power, they're going, "You're being too tough. You're going to create a problem." So it, you know, it's it's the usual silliness and pettiness that we see in politics, not just by the Republicans, but both sides. If a Republican president were in, in place, the Democrats would probably be saying the same thing. And so uh, that is a problem when it leaks out to the rest of the world to say, you know, is the United States really a reliable ally when mm. there's so much bickering going on back home? Yeah, and I do think that's a, a big issue that, and one that we have to simply do better at uh, in our nation's capital. And I was curious to get your take, too, as well, Andy. I I think minus the, the nine words that everybody's obsessed about from the president's speech, I actually thought his speech in Poland may have been one of the best he's ever delivered uh, as a politician. And uh, sadly, it won't be remembered that way. It'll be remembered for the nine word miss and ad lib. Uh, but from your perspective, uh, what did you think of the speech? Well, it's a strong speech, but it was really set out to accomplish one goal, and that is to keep NATO united. Uh, not just today, but through the long haul if this thing goes on for a long time, because, again, the pain uh, is not just being felt by Russia. Uh, there's pain all across Europe in terms of higher energy prices, uh, supplies, wheat supplies, 
dropping food prices going up. All of this stuff is affecting Russia. It's affecting us here in the United States, but I'm sorry, uh, uh, Europe, but it's affecting here in the United States, but more so across Europe where uh, they have relied on Russia and Ukraine and other places for a lot of, of these things. You know, Ukraine is is basically the breadbasket of Europe. They, they grow so much wheat there that's exported to other countries. Uh, without that export there, uh, the price of bread and wheat and everything that goes along with that has all gone up. Yeah. Final question for you, Andy. We've been uh, looking at uh, from the early days, there was always kind of this conversation of, oh, can you can you find a an off ramp from all of this for Vladimir Putin where he can declare victory and and save face and do all of that? It now seems to have shifted a little bit. It seems that uh, Mr. Putin himself is looking for the off ramps. Well, certainly, uh, he, I think, he and his generals, uh, according to U.S. assessment, thought this was going to be a, a cakewalk, walking into Kiev, taking over the place, and making this another puppet state. Uh, he encountered resistance he didn't expect. We encountered uh, this tremendous death rate in his own troops. Military didn't expect. And uh, that has become a big problem for him domestically. How big a problem, we don't know because of these giant lockdowns on the media that we've seen inside Russia uh, in terms of getting the truth out there. Now, there are a lot of younger people there that know how to get around this by doing virtual private networks so that uh, the government can't follow their every move and then they can go and look and see what the real world is telling them. Uh, fascinating stuff. Great uh, insight as always. Andy Field, ABC News correspondent in Washington, D.C. Andy, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, boy. We'll step aside for one last commercial break. When we come back, we're going to go back in history. We're going to see beyond the years. A little Calvin Coolidge insight for us on a Tuesday. Stay with us on KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.